What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, Blake Law. This is episode 13 of the podcast, and as is Arkansas tradition, I'm going to go in my front yard and fire off 13 rounds right now. They say we learn the most from our losses, and that's exactly what this podcast aims to do. We interview elite players who have lost one game, and we break down the mistakes, what they learn from it. They're going to coach us through what they would change going through on the next game. How often have you blamed the game on bad dice? That's exactly what this podcast aims to debunk. They say everything is bigger in Texas, where our guest today sort of proves that. He's the tallest player of 40K, I think. He recently won and had a dominant performance or he recently had a dominant performance down at Lone Star opening, coming in second place in Allen, Texas. And we all know who we're talking about. So buckle in, because we're going to be talking a lot about his absolutely wild Aldari list and his single loss in the final game to John Lennon's sisters. Now, this is part one of the podcast. And in this part, we're going to analyze the game that he played. We're going to discuss common mistakes. We're going to talk about the secondaries he took, the target priority. We're going to really just go into everything that happened from point a to point b and uh, really break it down and then for the subscribers we'll have part two following and in that episode we will dive into strategy list adjustments all the things that our our guest here uh will change in his list moving forward and we're really going to talk about how adari will play into your list whether it's combat centric shooty a mix of the two we'll ask the hard questions that our guest how he will adjust to those different archetypes of armies We'll talk about the strategies he plans to implement moving forward and just that elite player mindset. My co-host today is known on the mean streets of Toledo as White Cheddar. We're often Vanilla Thunder, maybe Chef Boyardee. He developed the principle of the Death Onion. He's the nine-time member of Team USA. He won Adepticon 2012 as well as a couple other Adepticons that's still a mystery. He has three top eight LVO finishes. He won the Armed Forces GT this year. He's the 2021 ACO champion. He recently won something called the Showdown at Frogtown this last weekend. Mr. Bradchester. The Frog Daddy, thank you very much. Big big Frog Daddy. What is Frogtown, Brad? I have to know. Toledo, Ohio. We've got two things. We're Frogtown or the Glass City. So we have we have all the monikers for our little place over here. So we're ready to go. So we have the showdown at Frogtown. See what is uh, what, where does that come from? Is it, do y'all have a lot of frogs there? Or what's the? I have absolutely I no idea. I just the glass city makes more sense. We used to make mo- the most glass in the world. Uh, I have no idea what the frog thing is. I think that's some sort of legendary princess thing. Oh, okay. Well, I'm gonna have to look this up. I'm gonna I'm gonna come back with some facts on you next episode. Our guest today, flashback to 1998 with me. I'm playing Pokemon Blue. I skipped school all day, and I entered the unknown dungeon. There, at the end of the long journey, I come face-to-face with Mewtwo. My guest today elicits that same excitement as capturing Mewtwo for the first time. He is the very best, like no one was before. He's coming on by our request to tell us how he lost. Sean Naden! (sighs) That was a little Pokemon cadence, in case you uh, didn't pick up on that. But let me let me just say he's the current Pokemon. he's the current uh, Team USA captain. He's won so many events in the past and is considered one of the best players to date. 
He's currently ranked number two in the ITC. This season alone, he has won the Alamo GT, the Clutch City GT. He got second place at the Dallas Open and a top eight finish at Atlantic City Open, and now a top eight finish at Lone Star Open. Sean? With that Lone Star Open, he also uh, basically cemented the fact that he's going to get the Texas Championship belt which is a rhinestone-encrusted, basically, WWE-type belt for whoever did the best in Texas. So the guy from Connecticut is now, official. I, we got oh. to break that down, Brad. That is not official. And the Lone Star Open, for one, was not part of the Texas What? Circuit. It's in and Texas. Two, as many people know, uh, not only did I lose in the final game, but because of a massive mistake by myself, the entire tournament is technically redacted for myself. So I'm not second. Um, I'm not third. I'm not fourth. I am nothing at the Lone Star Open. Well, technically, you'd be um, 158th. No, I'm lower than that because the 158th person still gets ITC points. Yeah, but I think there was only 157 people there. So, I mean, you're not going to be lower than like the like zero people. I mean, you are. I'll be lower than the people that well, didn't show up. Yeah. It's it's the same thing. Well, I got to say, that was a classy move, Sean. Uh, I know it, it probably didn't impact your score when, when you really think about it, but just the fact that you came out and made that statement, I thought it was just a great moment for 40K, honestly. Like, just to show that, you know, even the top players are willing to step back and say, hey, you know, I'm willing to take the the hit on the ITC points because I made a mistake. I think that's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, it hurt a lot. Um, I was literally driving to the airport. Uh, the next morning, just making a new list as I do. And how I basically start new lists is I take my old list and copy paste it and then start making the edits from there. So I copy pasted it. And I was like, Ooh, I really want like another Harlequin squad. And when I copy pasted that Harlequin squad and they were both now sitting next to each other, I was like 147. that seems odd. And I was like, Oh no, what have I done? And by the time I got to the airport where I had had to buy a new plane ticket home because my original plane ticket was during the finals and I got to the airport and then was told that I had bought a plane ticket for next week. Oh, no. And if as we're recording this next week is August 9th and I left Texas a week ago before this. So I had bought a plane ticket for two weeks <laughs> on Monday, two weeks in advance. Bold move. Bold and, move. And so I get I get to the airport and I'm trying to message all the judges and stuff like that to let them know that I'm going to disqualify myself. And I'm getting to the to the front desk to check into the plane. And they're like, you're not on this flight. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> so, wait, so you're still in Texas then? I'm still in Texas trying to get home when I realized that I, I don't have a plane ticket home. So I had to buy a, another new plane ticket. I bought a new plane ticket Saturday night in Texas and then had to buy another one Monday morning <laughs> when I got to the got to That the is airport, brutal, so. man. Absolutely so, brutal. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a brutal morning. So, you know, before, before we talk about what you actually took, I feel like you didn't exactly tell the truth because I always thought you started any list building exercise with choosing at least one unit that's going to make my life have just a few minutes less of it by just infuriating me. So I feel that this was not true. So tell me exactly what was in your list for Lone Star. Yeah. What's taking the life out of Brad? We got to know. Well, originally I was going to bring some fire dragons that for a couple of weeks that was taking the life out of Brad. And then I, I realized that I, I didn't have any. I couldn't find them in my house. I thought I had. I chopped a bunch of them up to make uh, Autarchs back when uh, Autarchs on jet bikes with fusion guns was all the rage. But uh, so I couldn't find any. So I had to cut them. But that was the, that was the unit that was making Brad really sad. I was I was um, very sad. I was Eeyore sad. I couldn't talk him out of them too. He's like, I'm just taking these. So I played with uh, Troopmaster, two units of troops, 
one of five, one of six, uh, all with fusions, all with weapons, mixed weapons based on what I had. I really would have just rather liked to run all embraces for this event just because of Admech and their ignore AP one and two. So going to braces for neg three. But when I was looking at the models I had access to, I only had a, uh, like seven embraces. So that was evenly split between the two squads. Basically uh, I had a death jester with humbling cruelty, which is ignore overwatch. If he hits you and the domino shroud, which is one of my favorite, favorite relics uh, for Harlequin. So let's him uh, once per game. Teleport. I'm going to, that was one of the and, things for, that I want to talk about in part two, because I, that was, that just stood out in the list. So for those listening, we're going to, we're going to dive into that. Definitely. You, when you say dive, deep dive, Deep dive, drop one in the Steve Jules deep dive jar. Ta-ting! Uh, two Star Weavers, and all that is uh, Soaring Spite for the move fast, shoot melta stuff. And then I had Altark and Afarseer both on bikes. And five Shadow Spectres, eight Shadow Spectres, four Shining Spears with an Exarch, and five Swooping Harks without an Exarch because I forgot to click the button to give yourself a free Exarch. And my Shining Spears also had the Monster Hunter uh, Exarch power because I... Uh, Forgot to click that button and change to the three up invil as well. And, uh, <laughs> I love both of the. All, all I'm thinking in my mind is literally because I know what he's talking about. Because in Battlescribe, these come pre clicked. And I love that you're just like, eh, I should click the better power, but instead, I already clicked the proper points. I'm good. So you missed an Artark and you took the wrong power on the Shining Spears. Yeah, I missed an X Arc for the Swooping Hawks. So they had no cool power you could have given them better grenades and they lost a wound that you just could get for free um luckily uh and because those were those along with the the mispointed miscreated harlequin unit that cost too much like nothing in my list was illegal um when, when people talked about it on what i dq'd myself was for is because i made the larger six-man harlequin unit it cost 147 points instead of 145 which is what i needed it to cost so it's an easy fix if you're looking to run the list. You either cut one weapon or switch to all embraces, and it'll drop below 145, which is uh, the cost of the Night Spinner for uh, to the last secondary. Um, my Dark Reapers, I ran three by three, uh, each one with a Tempest Launcher, Exarch, all with the far extra range um, Exarch power. Uh, those were in the list for weeks and weeks and weeks, so I didn't mess up uh, <laughs> with clicking their Exarchs and their powers. But... And then I wrote a Night Spinner that has Spirit Stones, which makes it more expensive. Uh, it makes it 145, so it costs the same as the Shining Spears, uh, which allows it to be to the last target, along with the large unit of Shadow Spectres, which costs a lot of points, and the 150-point unit of Shadow Weavers, which is three Shadow Weaver support weapons to round it out. And all the Eldar stuff is custom craft world with expert crafters and masterful shots, which are probably the best ones to run. For what Eldar do those right do for Eldar? If you don't mind just breaking down what those powers are. Masterful shots is ignore light cover and expert crafters is reroll one to hit one to wound whenever you, you know, shoot. It's very it good when you're so shooting the army. Like yeah. It's so consistent, especially with all those small units he has. It's, it takes so much. Well, before we go any, any further, I'd like to just take a step back and uh, talk about the event a little bit. We kind of talked about it on our last episode, but it was the Lone Star Open. I believe it was at Allen, Texas. Am I wrong in that? or is? Yeah, Allen, Texas, I think it's the suburb of Dallas or, or I don't know. These are big cities in Texas, you know. So it's like a 40-minute, 35, 40-minute ride from the airport in the Uber from Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, it was beautiful. I thought the hotel was very new. It was 
gorgeous. We had great rates through the frontline game. I, I love all the frontline events. I've always enjoyed what they put on the spectacle. The the room was enormous. Like it was huge. The AC was pumping, even though it was you know ninety five out. And had a great like little mall like right across the street with restaurants and a grocery store too. So we ran. My wife came with me to the event. We ran across there, picked up some apples and waters and snacks for the room. Uh, she was working some of the days uh, from the hotel, and uh, it was really really nice. The really 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 great venue, really easy um, for everything. Nice. And it was uh, we say what a hundred. How many people were there? Was it one hundred and fifty eight? Is that what the t- final count was? What, Something yeah, like it was one fifty and change. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So, and then there was an eight man cutoff, no shadow round at the end. So, an eight man final that was a single elimination that you actually made it to the final game off to on Sunday. I did. I did. Uh, felt like I played really well all the way up until about turn three in that game. That's when I stopped. Well, let's well. segue right into it then and talk about what was in John's list. Do you happen to have John's list right there, Brad, to rattle off for us? I'm going to pull it up from memory as I'm pulling it up because of the fact that I blew up my computer. So I had everything saved and now it's not. So, but we have Volistine, you have Vol, Celestine, you have Sacrosance, you've got two units of Zephyrim, Seraphim, and two Repentia. And then you've got two Retributors with two Heavy Bolters and two Multi Maltas and two Dominions. There's two Heavy Flamers and two. Yeah, multi-maltas. two Heavy Flamers, two Multi Maltas. Not, I thought that's what I just said. Two heavy flamers, two multi—that's mo- what I meant to say. Two heavy flamers, two multi-mountains, and they go. They have rhinos, and they go with the the Dominion rhinos so that they can scout up uh, before the game starts. And then he, the Dominions, of course, uh, can do pew pews. And then I feel like I'm missing something, but not really. He had the uh, battle, battle sanctum, sanctum terrain and a couple other extra characters. One that I think. Oh, yeah, the, he had, he had, the, do- yeah, the, he had the Dogmata, of course, um, which is an auto, and then he has got a unit of Battle Sisters. And what was he running them all under? It wasn't Arden Shroud as the other one was. No, he, he, run, uh, he ran Bloody Rose and Ebon Chalice. Ebon Chalice, that's right. Okay. And what, is, what does Ebon Chalice give you again? There's something strange about that one, just for those listening. You first off get a, an auto six for the Miracle Dice, but then you can throw two away uh, and get a six. Or you can throw in basically an extra die away. It's when you're using a miracle dice to give yourself an auto six. So it has a lot of utility. So it's like the wonky, wonky tricksy way to play sisters, essentially. The utility belt, if you will. And it gives access to a couple different stratagems, which are very, very nice also. So you can make people pretty durable. Well, Sean, how about you just tell us, to start us off, what mission were y'all playing? What secondaries did you take? And if you recall, what secondaries did John take in this game? We were playing, what's the table quarters one? Priority target? Oh no, that's that's a diagonal. Uh, what's uh, search and destroy? Or, uh, yeah, search, yeah, search so. and destroy. Yeah, the quarters one, with the big circle in the middle, and you're in a table quarter, and he's in a table quarter. That one. Um. <laughs> I love that between the two of us, we have like a thousand tournament games in, and we both went, "Oh, hold on a second. Yeah, that one. Um, so, and I don't think in tournament theory, I don't think it's a good final mission. I feel like. A final mission should be either retrieval or one of the Dawn of War ones. That's six objectives. Um, Vital intelligence, my favorite objective mission. Uh, that's my. That's one of my favorite missions. But uh, no, I don't think that one's a good final mission either. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just feel like the final mission shouldn't be like kind of like easy secondaries. And uh, this one has uh, 
direct assault, which is kind of easy. I was about to say, to say, especially, I was about to say, if he was Marines, that's the, the auto of all time. You take Stranglehold, Oath, and Direct Assault. Oh, Direct Assault's so good. Yeah, so, so I took Stranglehold, Direct Assault, and to the last um, in this mission, and I told myself, hey, it doesn't matter. Usually I'm like all over the board with engaging all fronts and Rod and this and that. Um, and this one, I was like, we just, you know, you make the we hold our Bermuda, two objectives. Bermuda triangle, baby. Just that little triangle. And we just, you know, we just go to the center every turn. And uh, so that was that was that was my plan. He took direct assault and stranglehold as well, as, as you do um, in this mission. And I couldn't remember what his third one. He wanted to take, I guess he had taken to the last in every game. But I think in this one, he was actually worried that I could kill his, um, his three to the last. Uh, but I don't. I don't recall what his third one was. When you look across the table and you're thinking about John's list versus your list, do you consider this a, a like bad, good, neutral matchup for you out the gate? Uh, I think it's I think it's a neutral matchup. I felt I felt favored in it. Um, to be honest, do you feel like that's the way well, that I, that like just you play into sisters in general? You kind of felt like you had the tools to deal with everything you had but, across the but, table. But, but but back that up. When was the last time you didn't feel favored? Um, I feel that's the more pressing question. Last time I didn't feel favored in this event, it just period in general. <laughs> um, I mean, I never feel favored against Tao. Just because I, I you've Tao. literally lost zero games to Tao. I lost to CEO sorry, you lost to ACO. My bad. Too soon, too soon, man. Yeah, it's too soon. I did a little bit. I did a little bit better in Tao against Tao at this at this event. But did you play a Tao player at this event? I did. Uh, in round three. Oh, wow. Okay. So they there was another good Tau player there cause going 2-0, and o, starting off. That's pretty cool. Yeah, he, uh, Will, Will, William, he finished 5-1. Um, and one. I think that was his oh, only Oh, wow. Player. That's awesome. I actually didn't see that. I'll have to go back and He's look. actually, he's been doing very well this year. Yeah, he, uh, he, he played, like, I think him and Siegler played round five at ACO, Tau and Tau. Um, so he's like the Tau play people forgot because Siegler beat him. That's like the, a sad. He, he's, he deserves some applause, man. That's crazy that he's done so well at two events like that. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's done well at a bunch of events. Uh, I see him all the time every every year in uh, in Vegas. I see he's made the top eight before, like once or twice in Vegas. And um, nice. He's 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 like me. He sticks he sticks to his his thing. He plays top. Well, you think so? In this like, in this one, you think it's either neutral to slightly favored in your in your direction on this one. When you look across, what's your target priority and kind of why why would you choose to like deploy or like pick things out from the get go? Um, I hate those dumb dominions. Like really? sisters now, I just I just hate them. Like I don't know why I have like this un unnatural hatred, eternal hatred. Even I, I just don't like they're like like oh for one CP we're gonna do six mortals to you. I just like hate that. <laughs> I can understand that. I you you do have a, going into this. I can see how you felt your favorite though. In all seriousness, because you have a really good amount of indirect, and all those T three models are not very happy about seeing all that indirect. Yeah, and I had a lot of strength. For indirect, that was negative two. I mean, it had a lot of indirect that had no AP, but he's and he has targets for that, like the um, repentia and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, the AP's not a big deal against those guys. Um, the damage too with the night spinner is really really good into them, and it's just like weight of dice. They're you know, I wound him on twos with all the stuff that doesn't have AP, so they just have a high amount of wounds, and then he, I ignore cover, so it's not like he's taking two ups or something crazy. He still has got to take three ups. Um, and then the, the Tempest launchers from the Dark Reapers, and he only has two rhinos, so most of his army's on foot. And then if you can demac him a little bit, and you know, get the ball rolling, then 
Yeah, because he took that battle sanctum instead of the extra rides because of the fact that it was uh, player place terrain. How did you feel about it with the player place terrain, Sean? We didn't actually go into that with you yet. Uh, how did that affect? Did that affect at all what you were going to bring? And also, did it affect how you were playing? Um, it affected a little bit. I certainly leaned into the, the indirect. Uh, maybe even I wanted the indirect anyway to hide, but like I knew then that I could hide in good places because of the. Uh, um, player place terrain. I thought the player place terrain worked really, really well um, to make the game just, you know, happy. I think I'm sure there's some kinks to it, and some people don't like it. Don't like there were some comments. I guess people sent pictures of the games. Like, why did the terrain look like that? And it's like because well, the players placed it where they wanted it. And that's the way <laughs> the way it looks. Um, but like, and if you made mistakes, I think um, if you made mistakes with the terrain, you definitely got punished for it because of the rules where you had to place it certain piece, certain distances from other pieces of terrain and from the edges. Uh, uh, Will made that mistake in our game, the Tau game where he put his first piece kind of like dead center. And I had started mine like offset. I felt like you had to work from one edge to the other when you were placing it a lot of times. Uh, otherwise you would maybe mess up and we were playing hammer anvil. And when the big piece went in the middle, it just it like limited the direction he could put his other pieces. And so it gave, it gave another skill cap position, I think, in, in certain games where if either you just weren't paying attention and put the first piece down just kind of haphazardly instead of with, like, intention. Um, and it was interesting watching John do it because of his terrain piece. Like, I always, I just did them in order. And then if, as later pieces, like, could ha- might get forced to a different section, I'd be like, oh, all right, I guess it gets forced here. And he kind of put all his down at once. And I mean, there was nothing against that. Like, he put them all down at once and just, like, kept remeasuring them until he was happy that he could fit everything on the board correctly, including the sanctum. Um, and I mean, it didn't seem like it was against the rules or anything. It just, it was just like, it was just odd because I felt like, you know, all my other games, we would, we would get into a situation where we're like, Oh, I guess I messed up my train placement. This one has to go here, but he, you know, he was smarter and just, you know, did it from the start and kind of put them all, you know, perfectly where he would, would need them. Do you feel like that's kind of the wave of the future for 40k terrain? Do you think it's going to go to player ba- player placed? Um, I think you can go two routes. Um, we, um, we've seen some of those routes. Uh, Dallas and Clutch City, the judges basically set the terrain for you, and they did it two different ways. Clutch City took a million measurements with the terrain that they had, and they had the same terrain at all these tables, or they had three different setups, I think, and so they had three different photo you know, pictures for all the terrain, for all the mission types. And they, so it was adjusted. So you and your opponent would have to measure based on their, you know, guidelines, place all the terrain exactly where they wanted you to have it for each mission. Cause it changes for the mission. Um, and then Dallas did it differently where they basically broke the three days of that tournament down into day one was pitch battle day. Day two was the angles day. Day three was the hammer and anvil day. And then the judges set the room, um, for all their different terrain types that night. Um, which is, you know, it's a lot of work. But I think if you're not going to do either of those, you should do player placed. Um, because I think a set table that is set for all different mission types and all different, you know, objective placements and all that is, is just, I don't think it's, I don't think it's good um, for the game. So if you're not going to do the two other, the, the grunt work of having pictures and measurements and identical terrain or the grunt work of all your judges and your volunteers resetting the terrain every night, uh, for the next day, if you're not going to do either of those, then I think player place terrain is is the only workaround. Uh, yeah, because if you don't move the terrain, uh, even good terrain that was great in a pitch battle situation could be just horrific in a hammer and anvil situation, making for a bad game. So the terrain definitely has to move with the mission. 
uh, and or be player placed. I agree a hundred percent on that. The so, uh, clutch city was actually the last event I went to pre baby. And I will say that leading up to that, I thought that it was pretty brilliant and I really liked the way that, uh, that, uh, they call McDade and all them did that. I thought it was really, really nice. Jumping back into the game with John, when you deployed, how did, how, how did what he had across from you affect how you deployed, I guess? Like, how did you adjust? Um, mostly it was just, you know, setting it up so he couldn't shoot me or charge me turn one was the main goal. That's my question, like, 900% time, because Sisters isn't something I've, I'm, I don't de- delve deep into the codex. I just know that, like, they can make dice up and pr- make up rules and do all kinds of other things. So I was like, all right, so you can't charge me turn one, correct? And be like, no, I can't charge you, Sean. I'm like, cool. And <laughs> so like, I'm like, all right, all right. And so you can't see me turn one. He's like, no, I can't see you turn one. I was like, cool. All right. And so <laughs> that that was how we were going with it. Um, so can't charge, you can't see you. How can I make that happen on my deployment? That's kind of your uh, your thought as you go into the game. Yeah, and I guess I didn't ask it 100% correct because I had one unit wrong. And then the funny start to our game was, we rolled to go first and I wanted to go first. And I guess he wanted to go second. So when the dice came out, he won the roll, but it was like a skull symbol. And sometimes I know those are the ones on some of the GW dice. So I was like, I was like, Oh cool. I'm going first. So I start, I'm like, I'm not going to redeploy. I'm, I'm thinking I'm good here to go first. And he, like I start moving models and he starts, or I start measuring where I'm going to move models and he starts measuring to move models. Cause he has some pregame moves. And then I'm like starting to measure to start like actually moving models and he starts moving models. I was like, I was like, wait, I thought I was going first. And he was like, no, I'm going first. I was like, then why did you say? F-? And he was like, cause I wanted to go second. I was like, Oh, well then I, I do want to redeploy. So it's like, <laughs> it just a really, it was funny. Like I, I legitimately thought I had won the role to go first. <laughs> so he had, he had the dreaded did, uh, six goal, six goal dice. Yeah. 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 And, and for, um, and yeah, for a change, you, on the six, but it was just, and that's uh, crazy talk because I thought you were automatic. Sean, go first, Naden. I only went first uh, two or three times at this whole event out of nine games. That's heresy. So, how did you plan? I mean, one of the one of the one of those times was the time when I really really needed to though, Brad. So it was it, was, it, was it worked hard. out. <laughs> how did you plan to play primary on this game? Because I know your goal was to take. You had to get three of these in order to win. That's just a given with the secondaries you took. So what was your overall plan to kind of keep him off these objectives and, um, you know, play the primary? Well, I was, I wasn't going to, I was figuring, I was figuring I was just going to take 10 on primary and he would take 10 on primary uh, every turn. That's why he wanted to go uh, second because then you get 15 on that final turn um, because you could just take the center back. So your goal is just to and, trade the center and take 10, take 10, take 10, trade center and get your uh, max on your secondaries. And then 15 yeah, was, the primary on the end of the round. Yeah, and if going second, I would get the 15 on primary. If I could take one primary way at another point in the game, um, do that as well. But yeah, that was the goal. I was, I was, I was going to be comfortable with 10. I was going to try and take the center as cheaply as possible each turn. Um, you know, just like the Hawks and then remnants of this or, you know, this and that each turn. Um well, what was your target priority going into this? You've got a lot of indirect fire. You've got a lot of firepower, period, in this army. This is a, uh, as we all know, you're known for all your shooty armies nowadays. So, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, well, it's really just like with with the shooting I have and him starting a lot of things in reserve, I was just going to go down the like threat tree and ease of kill tree a little bit. Um, I think I should have worked 
the sacrosanct a little bit more early. But basically, the Repentia are really fast because they can advance a charge, so they're super fast. Um, so I started them as the target. And then, like I said, I hate those dumb dominions, and the retributors are pretty good as well. So I went up one flank to open up that ride with my Melta and try to kill those two squads and the Rhino and the Repentia. So I killed all three of those things turn one. And so I felt like that was good. I think I peppered into with the extra shots. I think I peppered into like some Zephyrim or something that started on the board. Um, but again, once once he's demeched, basically I can shoot T3 guys across his army. Like they're all the same to me at that point. Um, all his units can basically kill all my units in combat. Even his sister squad probably beats up most of the squads I have on the board in combat. Um, uh, most of my guys are like three to five man units with either a like a four up save or you know. I mean, it's it doesn't really matter who touches me that I will die. So it's just you know whoever's closest, shoot him, kill him. That was basically the target priority. Where do you feel like the game went south for you? Do you feel like there was a moment you in particular where you're like, maybe I should have done this instead of that or anything like that? Oh, for sure. I know I know exactly where it went south. Um, so turn three, uh, he makes his first, all his reserves have to come in. So he drops in, does all these things. And he made like a uh, brilliant, brilliant move. Um, in my mind is he auto 12 charged. He measured it out. It was perfect. He was like a half inch on it. He he auto twelve charged with the squad of battle sisters and then killed the screening unit I had with something else. I think Celestine or whoever in the middle of the board. And then the battle sister squad then was able to consolidate and pile in onto my objective and uh, get him five for direct assault instead of three and take away five of my primary. Uh, so I thought that I thought that move was just absolutely brilliant. Um, it caused me to go on tilt and think that I had to make some grandiose plans and then abandon my plan of just, hey, clear the center, take the center, get your secondaries and your primary. Because I was still up. I was still winning. Um, I should have just, you know, continued on because turn one, he was, I think, worried about wasting resources early. So he didn't take the center turn one going first. So he was down six on primary because he didn't get strength hold and he didn't get direct assault turn one. So he's making moves to, to come back. And so I was still up on all those points. And if I just continued to just like calmly take the center again and again, uh, it would have been fine. Um, but because uh, all the taking away of my five primary had actually just evened us on primary because I had taken five away from him turn one. So, or turn two, whatever. I, my turn one moves, taking it away from him, turn two. So he was just redressing that and still just uh, the five points instead of um, was just two more. So he was still down four on secondaries uh, at that point. So it, it, I was still winning and I shouldn't have gone on tilt, but I, I definitely did. I definitely, you know, the clock's running down, you're tired of nine games i'm like oh i gotta do something drastic but i really didn't have to do anything drastic i should have just stuck to stuck to the plan and just said hey take the center let's do it what did you what what play did you make there did you kind of overextend to try to take his back edge yeah i I overextend to try and go to the back edge which was a mistake because i also forgot that it was a mission where you could continue to hold objectives even if you weren't on them i always forget that one like i'd say like 45 percent of the time i just don't remember that same rule 
And so I saw his tokens. I was like, oh, he's holding those objectives. Darn, I need to do something crazy. And it was just, it just wasn't necessary. I could have just, and then the error I made further was I forgot that the squad in the center, there was a Seraphim squad and a Seraphim squad. And I shot the Seraphim dead and then tried to charge a Seraphim. So he got Overwatch and destroyed my Harlequins that were going to object the center away. And I was like, oh, that was bad. That was, that was silly. Um, and because if I just like move them onto the center, uh, move the troop master there instead of trying to send him on a YOLO mission that he failed a six or seven inch charge on and I had no CP to reroll. If they had all just come to the center, you know, ended Celestine's life um, and, you know, taken the center of the board, it, you know, that would have been that would have been enough. Yeah, I think one thing that I definitely want to talk about with you in part two, I want to ask you kind of what prompted you to bring the Harlequins over to Jakari. I know it's a big move, and and just hearing you talk about it, I kind of have some ideas on why, but that's definitely something I want to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, and it makes sense. You know, the game you had a you had a game plan going in, and you uh, you kind of rewrote the script uh, a little early, it seems, and uh, maybe overextended, and makes makes absolute sense. Um, anything else of that game you want to talk about, uh, Sean? Oh, nothing. Just that John's a brilliant opponent, and uh, it's just it's really nice when you play someone that like you don't feel like you're going to get gotcha, and they don't feel like they're going to get gotcha in turn. So like, you know, I reminded him about my Domino Shroud on turn one when he was you know getting guys out to do you know to try and kill my Death Jester and clear that spot, and I was like, hey, John do you remember what a domino shroud is? And he's like, Oh, I know what it is. Do you have one? And I was like, yeah, this guy's got it. He'd forgotten about it. Um, and similar with me, if like I forgot to move something, he's like, Oh yeah, just, just fix it. No worries. So it's just, it's just really nice when you get to that top table and it's not like a stress and you're not like looking to make sure somebody's like play by intent. Or, Such a good play. You know. I mean, I don't want to, you don't want to weaponize intent to, to any degree, but as long as you know, you're, I'm uh, just, I'm just saying, time. just you know, playing the fact that being gotcha just never feels good, and I don't think it feels good to win a game like that. So, yeah, because he was about to get his dominions out, who I hate to kill her, and I was like, you won't be able to kill her if I don't want you to, John. He was like, oh, yeah, I hate that relic. Okay, <laughs> Seraphin, it is. They're shooting you now. I was like, ah. Oh. Hey, uh, Sean, so when you sit down, this is something a lot of people ask us at the whenever they talked about our guests and everything. When you sit down and you think about a loss and you think about how could I improve off this loss, how could I just really analyze where things went wrong, what's your process for that? First, I go into a deep, dark depression for a very long time. Still haven't recovered completely. <laughs> um, it's, actually, it's actually blunted a little bit because of the fact that I had to DQ, so I'm actually less upset about the loss um, than I normally would. I usually, like, I sit up nights sometimes and think about my LVO losses. Um, <laughs> redress where they've gone wrong. Uh, you know, it's just, like I said, it's uh, my last two losses, Siegler and Lennon. I felt like I had a perfect plan, and I felt like I abandoned that plan. Against John, I, I held to it a little bit longer. Um <laughs> and I, it, I can't even go on that one. <laughs> um, I have I have I, to give this because you just went on that. So Sean and I are eating the day before uh, the final eight, and we're in the, the evening, and we're back and forth about what we're going to do in our, our respective games. 
And he's like, I'm doing this, this, and this. And he's like, I'm like, what do you think about this? And he's like, Brad, you're an idiot. This is the way better thing to do. And uh, gets into the game and comes back after the game and looks at me. And I go, well, I, you know, how did everything go? You just, you know, do everything. He's like, well, I immediately did not follow the plan. <laughs> like, I'm like, the one you spent, like, the entire evening gawking. He's like, yeah. I go, any particular reason? Nope. Just didn't do it. Yep. So I think that's an important thing is if you have a plan, uh, I mean, if you know the plan is the right plan, definitely do it. But if if you have a plan, you don't like, like stick it through until you know, like, unless you know, it's like wrong. Um, you know what I mean? If you've played the matchup and you're like, this is how the matchup should go, you know, stick to it. Um, don't abandon it at maybe the first sign of trouble. Uh, certainly be fluid if, you know, the situation drastically changes, but if you if you if you know how the matchup is supposed to go and how you're supposed to play it, don't let like a little bit of run of bad dice or something force you to go. Well, time to go, <laughs> Leroy yeah. Jenkins. Now those are wise words. Those are very wise words, and I definitely want in part two. I want to go into your process for kind of adjusting list. That's definitely something I want to talk to you about because it seems like you're kind of the champion of that. Every time I see you go to a new event, you've kind of tinkered with a couple things here and there and they just seem very precise so i think that's something a lot of our listeners want to hear kind of your process for all that too and i'll tell you the last part of this episode we actually had to do a, a q a with our war room members for those listening the war room is a facebook group for subscribers to the art of war 40k.com you can go on there you can subscribe and then you are a member of the war room and the war room has a lot of coaching sessions every day there's different coaching sessions from many of our coaches including brad here we got nick nanavati we got richard siegler john lennon um we got scary all kinds of people on there just talking about 40k talking about how to improve and we have coaching matches where they sit down and really just break down the games um, but also part of that is the Q&A for our guests each week on Unbroken. So, Sean, I have two questions for you. The first one comes from Hunter Nichols. He says, Sean, Eldar were thought to be underpowered when Ninth came out, but you seem to be doing just fine. When you're building a list, what goes through your head? What are you looking for? Do you try to make the most effective killing list possible or, or ability to play the mission units? And then he says, keep up the good work. And I think you've touched on this, and you've probably been asked this a million times because this feels like kind of your MO, and it's definitely something I want to go into on part two, but do you have kind of a brief answer here for part one? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Eldar are maybe not perfect, but the fact that you can always ally in either Dukari or Harlequins to round out and pick up some of those things, and what Eldar have is some great tools and some great weapons that have been really good in this edition. Uh, I think Dark Reavers have been the staple of my success so far uh, during the Marine and early Dark Eldar days. It was, you know, just straight shot missiles that were coming in. It's, you know, the, the damage three ones that were great for a bunch of those Gravis units and taking down Raiders. And then I, I optioned into the, the, you know, the volume shooting that the Eldar provided with uh, all their, you know, blast weapons to handle this uh, Admech stuff and, you know, still give you a lot of that indirect to help with sisters and, um, and Andrew Kari. So I think, I think Eldar have a lot of the tools. They just need a little bit of supplements and they really need to think hard about their missions, which is why, you know, to the last, such a big mission for me. Um, and super important. Even though I went to get in four out of nine games, it's always good to have in that pocket when you're playing against something that you can't, you know, just kill off the board, like dark angels or, you know, something similar where, you know, just having those 15 points in pocket, since you don't have codex 
secondaries. You have to, I think, really think about how you're building your list. That's why I like the Swooping Hawk unit is in the list because I know in most every matchup they're going to be able to get uh, retrieve Octavius data basically three times because they can, uh, with a 14-inch move, they can go from one quarter to the other uh, so they can pick up two quarters really quick and then they can leave the board and come down in the backfield to get the third quarter and then all you have to really think about is how you're going to get that fourth quarter, um, whether it's them again or if there's nothing dead or, you know, the remnants of a Harlequin squad or, you know, somebody walking around. So I think you do have to think about all those things when you're building an Eldari list or certainly a codex that just isn't updated yet tonight. Awesome. Yeah. And our second question comes once again from Blake Law, myself, who I'm a war member. So I'm going to ask my standard question. Uh, what events do you plan to do this fall, Sean? Uh, in the fall, I think my next couple events are the Vegas team event from the front line, uh, Battle for Salvation in October here in New York, the... Warzone Atlanta. I love those guys down in Atlanta. I was like, I was trying to figure it out. I know it's the Gigabytes Cafe, but that's the, the, the store. But it's, it's the Warzone Atlanta in Atlanta in November. And I think I signed up for the Austin GW event. Oh, nice. In November as well. Yeah, I'll definitely see you there. I'm going to be there. So I uh, will get... Because uh, I love Texas. Yeah. Especially Austin. That's an awesome area. My whole... My in-laws are from there. So it'll be a good trip. Um. And the other thing is, what is the most fun unit that you have in this list for you? Like, if you're talking about just pure fun, what is the best thing in this list for you? Oh, the Troop Master. Spend all your CP, do a bunch of million kickflips, and kill a bunch of things. Oh, yeah. Hunter. Yes. Brad gets mad at me. That's that's what that's that's the unit that gets Brad on tilt with my list. This was like, Sean, would you do with all your CP? I was like, well, I spent six turns Turn one on, one on the Troop Master <laughs> all the time. Hey, you, can, you can get lost on some Troop Master points, man. He, uh, he can soak up some. Um... Sean, tell us about you, you. I know you have a stream and some other things going on. You want to tell us anything about that? Yeah, we uh, sometimes Brad shows up and I'm taking a little bit of hiatus right now. But uh, Team Battle Brothers on Twitch, we uh, we paint and we talk about 40k. So hang out and usually it's Mondays and in the afternoon Eastern time and uh, Friday evenings Eastern time. But taking a little bit of a break. Right now. I've dropped in from time to time, man. You do some pretty cool painting on there. I've really liked it. It's been fun. Yeah. But all right. Well, also check out all the Art of Wars other products. We have the Facebook group, like we talked about previously. Check out check out our YouTube channel. Check out our website, theartofwar40k.com. Check out the coaching services that are on there. Go look at all the other great things we have. We have the Art of War Vanilla where we're the pistachio of Art of War. They are the vanilla with Tim Penny and John Lennon. We also have Art of War Down Under with the late and great Adam Camilleri. Just go check all that out, and thanks for listening. Join us for part two. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network, theartofwar40k.com. 